Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Hello and happy Monday to everyone. Thank you for joining me for this live stream today. I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as a theology mom, and I trust by God's grace that you and your family are doing well. Uh, right now, <laughs> I have a little bit of a cold-like situation, shall we say. So please pray for me. I'd hope to do this as a live stream, but I'm going to pre-record it just in case I have to stop and have a coughing spasm. But um that way we can edit it out. But I am excited to bring you this discussion today. Um, I hope that this will be of some help to you and that you'll be able to share this with some friends, maybe some friends you you have a particular concern about. Um, I'm hoping that I can help you with that. And um, I'm going to be talking over the next couple of teachings that I'm going to be doing related to the chosen and i did a short live stream about the chosen back in november when our family went to see the first two episodes of season three in the theater and i said very clearly on that live stream um some of my concerns about the series and i also st stated at the very end that I, we would continue to watch as a family well somehow people are interesting People have a lot of assumptions about me, my beliefs, my stand, what I'm about. It's interesting. Um, despite taking quite a bit of time in that live stream, expressing my concerns about The Chosen, I've had many people come onto my social media and denounce me for endorsing The Chosen, which I've never done, but okay. Um, so I was kind of surprised when I woke up to comments after posting a picture on Christmas Day that we were watching The Chosen together as a family. And I didn't even really put a caption on it. I think I just had a moment of excitement. I said, all right, episode three, baby. All right, let's bring it. You know, and then I had hashtag fan fiction, which is what I had talked about for 40 minutes in the previous live stream. Um, there were a lot of upset people with me just posting a picture. In fact, here's just one of the colorful comments that I received as a result of the, just posting a picture. I saw you post this last night. I am shocked that you're actually supporting this unbiblical show. I'm not sure I've ever stated that I'm supporting it. In fact, I was quite clear that I had concerns, but okay. I've lost trust in you now. I'm going through now and unsubscribing from everything. Wow. Okay. You know, you do you, boo. That's okay. You know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. That is all right. But I, there were several comments to this effect. Um, and I, I thought, oh, wow, people have really strong feelings about The Chosen. I honestly had no idea how strong people's feelings were about this. Um, it's a TV show. It's a TV show enjoyed by 
people across denominational lines, evangelicals enjoy it, Roman Catholics, Orthodox people enjoy it, and some of our friends at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, for some, and you can just go on social media and see this, um, it has helped some people rediscover their faith, start reading their Bibles, start rereading their Bibles for the first time in decades. Um, and for others, the show is just a frustrating mess that they really want me to denounce. Um, so I was highly confused, to be honest, about some of these comments. But I thought, all right, okay, rather than jumping to conclusions here, I'm going to investigate. I'm going to ask questions. It's good practice. So I did a poll on my Facebook page and I'm going to share that poll. So here's that poll. I, it says, after my recent posts about the chosen, now I'm curious to hear where people are. Which of the following describes you? Number one, I am only vaguely familiar with the chosen. Uh, number two, I know what The Chosen is, but I haven't watched it. Number three, I watched a few episodes, but then I stopped or lost interest. Number four, I think The Chosen is a Trojan horse for LDS theology. Number five, I've seen most or all of the episodes, and I mostly enjoy it, but I'll admit that it has some meh moments. Number six, I think that any show, movie, painting, Depiction, depicting Jesus violates the second commandment. Number seven, I think the chosen violates sola scriptura. Number eight, I think the chosen is amazing and I own the merch. Well, as you can see here, I had almost 900 comments about this. That, that Stunning. I So I have about, I think like 8,000 followers. So it was a pretty good sample size of my followers. And I marked the post so that only people who had been following me for a certain amount of time could actually interact with the post. And because I really wanted to sample my own followers. And I was actually kind of glad it only got three shares because I really wanted to know of the people that follow me, what are their thoughts about The Chosen? So I'm going to call that like roughly 10% of my followers responded to the poll. And I think that's a pretty good sample size to get the general perspective of those who follow me. The vast majority of people either never watched the show, watched a few episodes, um, and lost interest, watched and enjoyed it, were kind of so-so about it, which is where I kind of placed myself, um, and, or loved it. Like a tiny, tiny percentage actually were the love everything about it, own the merch, you know, maybe 10%. Um, but the vast majority were somewhere in the like neutral to positive range. Okay. But there was a vocal minority, I would say maybe 20%. I'll be generous. Let's say 30% of my followers who think there are massive problems with the show. And um, so much so that, you know, some of them want me to denounce the show, but, um, you know, they have significant concerns. And so this really got me thinking like, wow, people, this is, this is very interesting. And so then I went on YouTube and started poking around a little bit more. And I noticed that there's basically two kinds of videos on YouTube about The Chosen. 
There is the, what I'm going to call loved it videos. They love everything about it. They comment on it. Um, there are several of these podcasts or, or streams on YouTube that actually seem to be sponsored by VidAngel and the platform that distributes The Chosen, which I found was interesting. Um, so they're kind of like an unofficial spokes hole for the show. But then there's this other group of videos that are what I'm going to call in the hated it group. Like they're call out videos, discernment videos, telling you all the things that you should not like about the show. And I'm like, where are the programs that kind of help you think about it? That help you weigh out the pros and cons that help you in a more balanced way, you know, um, there weren't a lot of those. And so the more I thought about the show, then I went back and I rewatched seasons one and two. And because um, I had watched them initially when they first came out. And I thought to myself, you know, this is this is interesting because there's very few voices out there that are really teaching people how to think about a show like The Chosen in a careful and nuanced way. Um, and I think in most of the videos that I looked at, people in a lot of cases weren't even asking the right questions. So I'm going to try to do some commenting on The Chosen with the hope of teaching. My intent here is really to try to teach people a little bit about how to think about something like The Chosen. Because just yesterday it was announced that Mel Gibson now wants to make a sequel to The Passion of the Christ. And which I thought was interesting. I'm like, I wonder if he's graving training on the energy of The Chosen, but okay. Um, but these kinds of Jesus films are out there in the culture and how do we think about them? So if you aren't sure what to think about The Chosen, stay tuned. This is for you. Um, if you loved it, stay tuned. Uh, I might give you some things to think about uh, that you haven't thought about yet, how to think a little bit more carefully about it. If you've never watched the show, um, maybe this stream will help you decide whether or not it's worth checking out for you. Uh, maybe you lost interest uh, in season two. You felt like it kind of jumped the shark a little bit. Maybe this will help you decide whether to revisit it and give season three a try. Um, if you have friends who think that the chosen is the Bible, <laughs> the same thing, uh, share this stream with them. Hopefully this will help them. I want to help you provide a resource to them because I don't think there's much out there for that person who loves the show, loves everything about it, but maybe hasn't thought carefully about um, whether or not the show is accurate to the Bible. If you think that watching The Chosen violates Sola Scriptura, stay tuned. I'm going to tackle that. If you think that The Chosen is a Trojan horse for LDS theology, stay tuned. I'm going to cover that issue in detail in part two of this series. And if you think The Chosen violates the second commandment, this dream probably isn't for you. That's just an issue I'm still thinking through. 
And I'm just not prepared to have comments about that yet. So this will only frustrate you. You might as well click off now. Okay. So again, I have rewatched seasons one and two since the last time I did a live stream about The Chosen. I've watched half of season three. They've got half of it out there now. And I've now watched a lot of interviews with Dallas Jenkins. I kind of have his answers memorized. I started seeing patterns. Um, I have also watched videos on the loved it side, lots of loved it videos and lots of hated it videos, lots of discernment call out videos. So I feel like I got a pretty good pulse on where people are at. So in this episode, I really wanna talk uh, about some of the things that I've enjoyed about the show so far, so far. Some of the things I think people should bear in mind when watching the show and some thoughts that I haven't heard anybody talk about from a production standpoint. Things I kind of touched on in the first live stream that I did that I've reflected a lot more deeply on that I want to share from a, a Hollywood production standpoint. And in the next episode, I'm going to comment more in detail on the doctrinal concerns. And I think there are some legitimate doctrinal concerns. I think there's some other concerns that some people have about the chosen that I think are just petty. Um, so, all right. What I've enjoyed so far about the show. All right. I have a few of these. I've watched a lot of Jesus movies over the years. I'm a Bible person. I love the Bible. I love teaching the Bible. I love thinking about how to use clips from Jesus movies to teach the Bible. Um, so yeah, I like Jesus movies and I've watched a lot of them in my life. Uh, for me, The Chosen is a helpful depiction of certain events in the New Testament. Not all the events. Some of them, <laughs> I think, are a little peculiar, and I'll get to that. But I think that there's aspects of the show that I could conceivably think, like, I could use that in a classroom context. That clip, that scene is helpful. Now, this is an opinion. This is a TV show about which I have an opinion, okay? So I'm I'm not saying this is a word from the Lord. You could disagree with me. That's cool. Um, but I think that there are moments in the show that I find insightful, helpful, and, and that sort of thing. In fact, I just want to play one powerful scene that really stood out to me that I think, yeah, I would play that in a classroom. I think that could provide the foundation for an interesting conversation with students. So I'm going to play that clip for you now. And this is a scene uh, when Jesus and his disciples are on the road and they encounter a leper. Okay. So let's check it out. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 you cannot this disease. You.
please. Please. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. Those on the podcast, what's happening right now is that he's noticing the skin is being healed. I, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. What can I, what can I ever do? Do not, do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. But what do I tell people? Go, show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Okay, very good. And that, again, was from season one of The Chosen. And it is the scene, if you want to go look it up on YouTube, if you're on the podcast, Jesus Heals the Leper. And uh, you can you can check that out on YouTube. But I think that it's a powerful scene. I mean, that moment when the leper says to Jesus, please don't turn away from me. And Jesus responds to him, I won't. Like, that's a powerful moment of of acting of writing and just looking at the the desperation thinking about the desperation of the leper in that moment and i also loved it that they preserved in there you know that jesus uh told him to go show himself to the priest you know that that that's what he would have done you know that that was part of the text and and pointing people back to the fact that jesus was a jew and um told this, this leper to, um, you know, obey uh, the Mosaic law and go show himself to the priest. I, I think it's just a powerful scene. I would use that scene in a classroom situation if, if it was appropriate. And so for me, this is something I enjoy about The Chosen. It has those moments. Now, I'm not talking about the show as a whole. I'm talking about particular moments that stand out to me. 
And I, I do appreciate that. The second thing I've enjoyed about the show so far is that people talk in a way you can understand. <laughs> they use regular words. They sound like regular people, which is what the disciples were. They were regular people. Um, I, In preparation for this, I went back and I rewatched the old uh, Jesus film. I think it was made in 1979, and it's on YouTube. And everyone in the film walks around talking in King James English and kind of with a British accent. And I, I'm like, this is so peculiar. Um, I, I can't relate to these people. But in The Chosen, the way, because Dallas Jenkins isn't trying to accomplish everything in two hours, he's doing it over, you know, 56 hours. There's more room for character development. And so you get more, you have more thoughts about the disciples as being real people. And they sound like real people. They talk like real people. They don't sound like they're speaking King James English. The third thing I appreciate about The Chosen is that it has made me think about the disciples as three-dimensional people. Um, I've never wondered before very much about their backstories. And this helps me think about them as real, normal human beings. Um, now, this it's not always the details of what the backstories are, um, aren't all from scripture. And this is a point that I'm going to really highlight later. But I, I do think that just the thought of having backstories, like Matthew's backstory, we know him to have been a, a tax collector, and they really develop his story arc in the first season over, you know, several episodes, we kind of get to know him. It has made me reflect more deeply on the fact that these were real people and that they have had lives prior to meeting Jesus and to, to think about some of those things. A fourth thing that I have appreciated about The Chosen is that the characters look Middle Eastern uh, rather than European. Again, when I look back at the Jesus film, it was a lot of white people. <laughs> and, you know, people might argue that, well, the Jesus film is more historically accurate, you know, to, to or biblically accurate. Yeah, but you could argue that the casting isn't. And and so there's there's creative license in, in no matter what you do as you transfer the written text to cinema. And I do say I appreciate it that the 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 casting has had some eye toward casting people that are more ethnically correct. And, um, you know, some, uh, the guy who plays Levi looks like maybe he has more of an Indian background, but, um, you know, I, I just appreciated that they're a little closer to, you know, looking Middle Eastern. Now the characters in The Chosen do talk with some kind of accent, as you can hear, and I played the clip. I'm not quite sure what accent that is exactly. Like, is this something that Dallas Jenkins just sort of came up with? Did his experts come up with? I don't, I don't know. Um, but I guess no matter what it is, it, it always reminds me when I'm watching it 
okay, the disciples aren't European, <laughs> right? They, they, they didn't exactly sound like me. They, 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 they were from, uh, you know, Middle Eastern extraction. And again, in a lot of Jesus films, especially ones made like 30 years ago or more, um, a lot of people in the movie just all sound like they're from Narnia. And they talk with British accents. And so I do appreciate it that Dallas Jenkins has woven this thing into the show that all the characters talk in, in, a, in a distinctive way. It just subtly reminds me, oh, yeah, they're not European, okay? Finally, a thing that I appreciate about The Chosen is that it has challenged me to think in new ways of what does it mean to say that God is, that Jesus is fully God and fully human? Um, did Jesus tease his friends? Did he dance at a wedding? Did he cut himself on accident? Was he a clumsy teenager? Did he always win when he played games? You know, like these are kind of silly things, but Dallas Jenkins is making us think about them. And Maybe we don't agree with him. Maybe we feel uncomfortable thinking about these things. But um, I I have an, a level of appreciation that it has caused me to think more deeply about, you know, yeah, what does it exactly mean that Jesus was fully human and fully God? I mean, is, there's nothing inherently sinful about, um, you know, winning at every game, but he would know everything or there's nothing sinful if he was a clumsy teenager, but because he was God, did he have perfect control over all his physical faculties? I don't know. These are very interesting questions. So maybe that's only appealing to me because I am that sort of person who likes to think about things in a, you know, in a curious kind of way. Now, all of that being said, those are again, the, the things that, that I appreciate about the show. And, and, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's interesting. There are some things that I think that people need to be conscious of. And again, I'm basing my comments on the episodes that I have watched so far. And I will continue to watch the show probably until the end, even if it gets heretical, because I will probably keep commenting on it and trying to help people think about it simply because this is such an influential and worldwide phenomenon. Um, so I will discuss issues of concern as I start to see patterns and that sort of thing. But I think we have to remember first and foremost um, that Dallas Jenkins is a filmmaker and he does, based on an interview that I saw, he does have a, I think it was on uh, Melissa Doherty's podcast, where he mentioned he has an undergraduate Bible degree from Northwestern in, uh, University in St. Paul. And, uh, but I think that uh, the show, what you have to understand about the show is to ask the question, and I don't think many people are asking this question, is what genre is the chosen? What is it supposed to be exactly? Is it supposed to be the most historically accurate show ever um, filmed about Jesus? Is that what it's supposed to be? 
or is it something else? And I think one way of thinking about it is, is that the show is largely a collection of Dallas Jenkins' longtime imaginations and reflections about Jesus in consultation with some kind of team of Bible experts who advise him. I think big picture, I think that's what the show is. It is largely a show based on, and I heard Dallas Jenkins describe it this way. So this is where I'm getting this, is that he has thought since his childhood about Jesus and what Jesus would have been like. And I think that this show is an outgrowth of that lifelong reflection that Dallas Jenkins has had about Jesus in some combination with his training as an undergrad uh, Bible degree and these Bible experts and that sort of a thing. Now, when we think about the gospel accounts themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think we can all agree that the gospels only give us snapshots of things. The gospel writers write for a particular audience and for a particular purpose. Um, the chosen, based on what I've seen Dallas Jenkins say, is not about primarily being historically accurate, although he does want to have a level of historical accuracy and, and cultural um, fluency that he's, he's put into the show. But like I said, I think that this show is kind of like fan fiction. And this is what I said in my previous stream, and I've continued to think about this and develop these thoughts more. So if you enjoy historical fiction books, like I like Lynn Austin. I love her series, Gods and Kings. If you've never read that, highly recommend it. Um, this show is kind of in that vein. This is Dallas Jenkins' fan fiction of the Gospels. And... I would regard Dallas Jenkins as being a Christian fiction author. He, he's not a pastor. He's not trying to pass himself off as a pastor. He's not a, a Bible scholar, a Bible teacher. I think the proper way to think about what Dallas Jenkins is trying to do is he is a, he is a historical Christian fiction author, Okay. So I went back and rewatched season one and I'm glad that I did because in the first stream that I did, I, I said, well, I think season one was a little bit more historically accurate. And then season two kind of started drifting more and more into fan fiction. I was wrong. <laughs> I went back and I watched season one from the beginning. I actually think the chosen was fan fiction from the beginning and after watching uh, both season one and season two, I'm like, yeah, no, it was it was this way from the beginning. I just didn't didn't really notice it. So uh, an, another way of thinking about what 
Dallas Jenkins is doing here is I would call it somewhat comparable to a book that you might read or a movie you might watch that says inspired by true events. Okay. But the goal of a show or a book is to write an entertaining story inspired by true events. But there's quite a bit of license that goes into shaping that story, like the, the movie The Blind Side. Um, are there real people um, of the Tuies, the family, the Tuies? Yeah, there is. That's a real life family. Did they adopt um, a, a black son who played football? Yes, they did. Is there a real person named Michael Orr? Yes, there is. While the movie itself is entertaining, there's a lot of features in the movie that do not reflect real life. The general shape and structure of the film is inspired by true events and true people, true characters. But in general, you know, 80 to 90% of the story is made up. It is because the goal is to create an entertaining film. A third way of thinking about this, because I've really given this a lot of thought, is to, to think about uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Now, when the Lord of the Rings came out, and it's hard to imagine that was 20 years ago, and I think the first movie came out, um, there was a lot of like conversation on YouTube and other places um, thinking about how faithful was Peter Jackson's vision to Tolkien's vision for the Lord of the Rings? You know, did he collapse some characters and events and, and this sort of thing? And there were all these Tolkien experts and big heads talking about it. And, and I, this, and I think this is where Dallas Jenkins gets into all the critiques of people because there's the, the faithful, you know, there were the, the Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings faithful that, that wanted the movies to really closely resemble the books and the beauty of the books. Well, Peter Jackson, the director of the Lord of the Rings, like he tried to capture the beauty of the books through the scenery and the majestic costuming and the special effects. But there are limits when you are transmitting from the printed page to the screen. This is a difference in medium. And I'm, I can't go into all of this, but you can go check out Neil Postman and all of his work in this area. And he'll, he'll explain it much better than me. But, but it, we have to understand and appreciate that you, there's not a one-to-one -one correspondence that you can do from the printed page to the screen and have it be the same and make sense. Um, there's just two different mediums. There's two different things that are required. So for Dallas Jenkins to make an entertaining show inspired by true events, he's trying to capture aspects of the, the majesty and the wonder of the gospels with great sets and quality acting and writing and, and costuming and all of this thing. But it is not going to be a one-to-one -one correspondence. I'm going to play a quick uh, clip here from his interview with Melissa Doherty, uh, where he kind of talks about uh, these issues, and you can hear that in, in his own words. Imagine 
as you are trying to create a series, The Chosen, that reflects the life of Christ, that is as biblically and historically, culturally accurate as possible, mm. while still having to take creative license, for sure. example, like Matthew, you depict him as someone who's on the spectrum. Yep. We don't see that in the Bible. And so how do you approach that huge task of trying to stay as accurate and grounded as possible while also being creative and creating a series that people really want to watch. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is uh, I would say probably 95% of the content of the show isn't directly from scripture. People call it a Bible show. They'll call it a, J a Jesus show. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, but I'll say this is actually, I mean, the Bible is for sure the, the primary source of truth and inspiration for the show, but there's a ton of content that isn't actually directly from scripture. So to your question, it's a it's a it's a dangerous proposition. You know, you're walking a fine line, especially as someone like myself who loves the Bible. And I know that people who watch it, the majority of people who watch it are going to be wanting us to be remain faithful to the scriptures as much as possible. We operate from the this question. Is this plausible? Whatever we write that, is, that didn't come from scripture, is this plausible culturally, historically? And does it fit within the character and intentions of Jesus in the Gospels, even if it's not directly from them, or even if we don't know if it's fact or not. So for example, Matthew being on the spectrum. Uh, is that plausible? I think so. Why? Well, we, this, is, this is a good uh, example of how we approach the show in general. We start with what we know from Scripture. So we know that Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, that means he was a numbers guy. Uh, he, he, we know he's a facts guy. The first chapter of his book is a genealogy divided into three sections of 14 names apiece. Uh, we know that he chose a profession that made him an outcast, hated by the Jews for betraying his people by being a tax collector and working for the Romans, disrespected by the Romans for being Jewish. All of these things, we're, we're, we're writing them down on a, on a big piece of paper as we're formulating the character of Matthew. And I'm someone who's very familiar with the autism world. I have autism in my family. I've done a lot of work in the special needs community. So I know autism very, very closely. And uh, I'm like, these are, these are traits of Asperger's. These are traits of you know, numbers, facts, uh, socially outcast, but maybe comfortable with that because maybe you prefer to be a little bit uh, alone. And uh, we thought, what if, what if Matthew, what if, we could have, what if we could portray him as being on the spectrum? Think of how human that is. Think of how relatable that could be for people. Um, taking the stories from 2,000 years ago and actually putting them into a modern context for the viewer could be really powerful and relatable. Now, doing something just to be relatable, that could be a problem. Mm -hmm. We're not trying Maybe. to take the gospel. All right, we're going to change it. We're going to make it more. We're going we're gonna to water it down so that people get it. We're going to do something. We're going to try to have more diversity just to be politically correct, just to try to appeal as many people as possible. That would be a problem, but this is plausible. If it's mm. plausible yeah. and it happens to uh, allow the viewer to connect even more deeply to the people and see Jesus through the eyes of people who actually followed him, that can be really impactful. So that's how we approach all of these stories that you see in the show. Some come directly from scripture, some come from our imagination, but I think all of it comes through this filter of plausibility based on a desire to be faithful to the scriptures and to the character and intentions of Jesus in the gospels. It's not easy. It, no, it's I on imagine. dangerous ground. We get, we get a lot of criticism, obviously, yeah. from people who don't want to see anything that's not from scripture. Okay, so that gives you a little bit in his own words of how he thinks about it. And he uses that plausibility thing 
it consistently in in interviews and so it's very typical and so that's why i wanted to play it so again i think the best when we're thinking about genre i think the best way of thinking about the chosen is that this is um dallas jenkins christian fan fiction inspired by true events uh trying to use this yardstick of plausibility as his way of uh, creating stories that will be genuinely entertaining and translate to the movie screen or the television screen, as the case may be. So <clears throat> the downside of this approach, and I mentioned this in my previous stream, and is, is that arguably the chosen, for better or for worse, will be the primary way that this generation pictures Jesus and the story of the Gospels and the Apostles. Uh, I, I just think that the, the images, the popularity are so powerful. It is, it is truly a worldwide phenomenon that I think for better or for worse, that, that's how things are going to play out. And that these will be the pictures in people's minds when they read certain portions in the Gospels. Um, and I'm going to play a quick clip here where Dallas Jenkins admits that this is um, this is probably how it's going to play out. So this is from his interview with my friend Melissa Doherty um, on her podcast back in 2021 jesus show mm -hmm. uh the, the chosen is uh the first multi-season show ever about the life of christ and and i remember um briefly this may be a tangent but uh i was in israel a few years ago when i was um doing research for the show this is before we had even written a script and i was in magdala uh, mary magdalene's birthplace and i was at this synagogue that they uncovered just like 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, they found the synagogue where it was very, very likely Jesus was. And I was standing there in that synagogue and I had what's probably happened to me three or four times in my life, maybe five, um, where I really felt God speaking to me, like laying something very strong on my heart. Mm -hmm. And for us old school Baptists, uh, you know, we, we, we don't normally hear God's voice. Uh, we leave that to the charismatics. So we, we typically like, <laughs> don't hear from the Lord uh, very explicitly. But this was yeah. one of those moments where I felt really like God laying it on my heart. And I felt that God was laying on my heart that in, in several years, the chosen was going to be what people thought of when they pictured the disciples, like when they mm -hmm. pictured Jesus's people, the people who were around Jesus. Because up till that point, there's been movies and miniseries about Jesus, but like you don't have anything in your mind specifically about Simon Peter or Mary Magdalene. Like there's mm -hmm. no visual in your mind. And I felt like God was saying like, this is going to be the definitive portrayal of my people. And this is what people are going to think of around the world when they think of my people. And I'm not going to let you screw it up. <laughs> and that was like both the most scary and also the most relieving moment of this whole process yeah. was feeling like this is in God's hands. And of course, this was before the show was even written yet. So yeah. um, I, the, the reason I'm saying all this is just to give you the, and whoever's watching, the knowledge that I take this extremely seriously. 
and my love for Jesus, um, which has grown since I've done the show, but is a foundational, guttural part of my life. It defines everything that my wife and I believe and everything that we do is all centered around Jesus. And I think that's one of the things about the show that I think has brought in so much joy for people, but also controversy, mm -hmm. is that it's really focused solely on the stories of Jesus, which means that a lot of people from a lot of different tribes all love it, mm -hmm. LDS, Catholic, Greek Orthodox, whatever, and they don't disagree about the show, which makes a lot of people nervous because they're like, wait a minute, we're supposed to disagree. We're supposed to be angry at each other. And then they go to the fan club on Facebook and they all love the show. And then they start these really intense arguments. debates. Yeah, well, debates would be a kind word, but <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, so then you've got uh, a Catholic who's mad at me because I portray Mary as, as having flaws, or you got a, uh, an LDS person who's mad at me because I'm not LDS, um, but yet we use the, 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 the set in, in Utah that's owned mm -hmm. by the LDS church, or we've got the, the, the most angry are, of course, evangelicals who, uh, who are, you know, can't, can't imagine why a Catholic or an LDS person would like the show if the show was being true to the Bible, which they think it is, which they say it is, but then they can't figure out why we all agree and we shouldn't agree. So uh, anyway, that was a really, really long uh, foundational. So I think what's helpful to me about that clip is that it gives Dallas a little bit of insight into Dallas's self-perception of the show. And he, he really thinks that he has a mission from God and that this show will become the way, the primary way that this generation will picture Jesus and the disciples. Now, the, the downside of this, and, and again, this is connected to the issue of transferring a story from the written page to the screen. And here we're going to get into a little bit of philosophy, but um, there, I don't think that, uh, Neil Postman explains this very well in his writings of how the visual, um, stimulation that comes through the screen is very capable of capturing our emotions and our imaginations in ways that are very different, like the, than the written page, the written page can capture our imagination in a in a subtle way but when that that image is right before us it kind of shrinks our imagination because now i don't have to imagine what was on the written page it's it's right there in front of me and it, it's so it, it it accesses my emotions in such a powerful way and I think that this is part of the appeal of the chosen. I think this is why there are that that group that we saw in the survey that I did on, on Facebook of love everything about it. Uh, one of the concerns that many of my followers, some of my followers have is my friends are so caught up in the chosen that they they think it's an accurate depiction of the Bible. And I think that the emotional um appeal of the show because it's it is easier to uh digest something that is visual than something that is written 
And so it, 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 it makes sense that it, it prov provokes our emotions. And the fruit of that, though, is, is concerning on some level. Because if you don't know how to kind of rein that in, if you, if you don't have anybody to disciple you and to, and to tell you, like, hey, just so you know, like, while you're enjoying the show, it's different than the written page. And there's a lot of details that have been left out of the show that are really vital for how you understand the Bible. Um, and this can cause, in turn, distortions in our thinking and uh, in our theology about Jesus. Like Jonathan Rumi is doing a great job as an actor um, on the show is portraying Jesus. He's, he's doing a great job. I, I like what he's doing with, with Jesus. It's very appealing. It's, it's, um, but I think that it could capture that visual picture in my mind. And so that when I go to read scripture, I'm seeing Jonathan Rumi in my mind. And I think that because this portrayal of Jesus is, is coming into the public consciousness in a way that no other Jesus ever has before. That is a legitimate concern, I think. Now, it doesn't have to be bad, but I do think we need to be aware of it and that we need to help our friends who like the show to understand, you know, that it's okay if you like the show, but you also need to be aware, like, there's some, some things here, some important differences that are in the text. Now, there are these reports, and I see them on social media, where people watch the show, and then they go read their Bibles more. Great! They're getting those details. But I think that there is the potential for some people to watch the show and then think, that it's the same as the Bible. So hopefully that's why you're sharing this podcast with somebody uh, who, who you might have that concern about and maybe, um, you know, give them something to think about. So again, the strong cautions that I had in the, in the very first kind of brief stream I did, I want to restate those here because this, I've given you a little bit more backstory and a little bit more of my developed my thinking on this issue. And so this is why I have strong cautions for people that have low biblical literacy. It's not an insult. It's just if you're not that familiar with the Bible, if maybe you're a new Christian um, or you just haven't interacted with the Bible very much, this might be a point of confusion and it could trip you up. If you're having your kids watch the show, your teens watch the show, you're going to have to do some, some, some legwork with them on understanding the differences between the show and the text, okay? Because there's characters in the show that we don't have in the text. <laughs> and there's a lot of backstory of, of the disciples that we don't have in the text. All of that said, I have to admit, it's led to some great discussions in our house about the details of the Bible. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's led to some conversations with people that may have low interest in the Bible. They see the show with my own teenager. She's, she's a little bit more willing to talk about the Bible as a result of the show. So I think if it's used in a context with biblically literate people, it can provide the foundation for a good 
uh, discussion, but it needs to be kind of used in a, in a wise way. All of this said, you know, we have to remember that The Chosen is a television show. And so there were a lot of people, you know, that are concerned uh, about the show from the sense of, well, it's, it, it, it violates sola scriptura. And I want to caution us against that claim. And part of this, I, mean, I think I'm going to do some teachings later in the year on the doctrine of sola scriptura, because I think there's a lot of confusion uh, about what sola scriptura is and what it isn't. Um, but I'll just give a brief answer to that now is that in no way is this show attempting in any way, shape or form to be equivalent to the Bible. It is not claiming to be inerrant. It's not claiming to be God breathed. You can go buy a Bible in any local bookstore and see that the Bible hasn't changed as a result of the chosen. Um, again, this is just a show depicting what Dallas Jenkins thinks is plausible in order to make an entertaining show. So he hasn't added to the Bible. So technically, the chosen doesn't violate sola scriptura. Now, it might affect a person's emotions. It might affect their imaginations. And it might um, potentially introduce misconceptions about what the Bible says for the reasons that I just covered. But technically speaking, it does not violate sola scriptura. The Bible is still the Bible. You can still go buy it. There's no Bible that, that Dallas Jenkins is trying to, to write or to rewrite. Okay. So um, I think that, that it's also important to, to think about Dallas Jenkins' comment to Melissa that there's enough in the show to offend everybody. You know, the Catholics are going to be upset. The Mormons are going to be upset. And the evangelicals are going to be upset. I just, just yesterday on Instagram, there was a thing on the official chosen Instagram feed uh, where they had this picture and uh, they have a picture of Jesus sitting in the synagogue in the chair of Moses and it says, if you do not realize your, your need, if you do not realize that you need a year of the Lord's favor, I cannot save you. So this is a quote from the show. Obviously, not a quote from the Bible. And this is where the confusion can, can come in. But then the caption on Instagram is, you know, here's the bad news. Your religion, your church, the law, your efforts to be righteous won't save you. Here's the good news. You don't need your religion, your church, the law, or your efforts to be righteous to be saved. Well, a lot of our Catholic friends <laughs> took exception to that on social media. And, you know, the, this was insulting to them. So I'm sure uh, he, he's, uh, Dallas Jenkins is going to have some uh, explaining to do on, on, on that issue. So there's enough in there to offend everybody. And I think that's why it's helpful to think of all of this as this is Dallas Jenkins' ideas. 
of what the Bible is about and what it says and what it means. That's that's a better way of saying it. Is what is what does it mean? This 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 is not attempting to um, be the Bible, nor is it attempting to be kind of this um, totally accurate depiction of the Bible. This is intended to be Dallas Jenkins' version of Christian fan fiction inspired by true events. Okay. Um, There is another caveat or caution that I think is worth mentioning, and we will get more into this in the next stream in part two. But Dallas Jenkins sometimes says things in interviews that don't seem to be very careful. Um, Or he will avoid answering certain key questions. And I think that this is why there is so much confusion about his position at times. And I'm going to unfold this um, in more detail in the next episode, but I know that there are some of you who are watching the stream and you want me to go right for the errors, you know, and you're, you're impatient with how I'm unfolding all of this, but I want you to understand that, that there are different people have different needs. And so I'm trying to, um, unfold all of this, uh, I'm giving some caveats now, but we'll really get into the details of some of the particulars that Dallas Jenkins has said that I think are are potentially very problematic and that at times quite honestly he doesn't um he doesn't he isn't always careful with with how he says things and it ca- it does cause problems and confusion okay this brings me to some reasons that people have posted on my social media about why they don't like the chosen now some of the reasons I think are reasonable. Some of the reasons are rational. Some of them I think deserve investigation. And I'm going to be talking about those in part two. Others I think are kind of petty, to be honest. Um, Here are some of those that I think are just more trivial and kind of petty. And then I'm going to explain why I think that. Um, And these are all things that people have written on my social media. Dallas Jenkins has LDS friends. Uh, Someone was mad that he's nice to LDS people. Dallas Jenkins has been interviewed by LDS YouTubers. Uh, Now, what he has said on some of these LDS YouTube shows has caused confusion. And again, I will cover that in part two. Dallas Jenkins employs LDS people. The app was created by people who are LDS. Part of Dallas Jenkins' production is financed by LDS members. Some of the sets are owned by the LDS church. The AngelVid platform is run and funded by LDS members. Dallas Jenkins cast Roman Catholics in the show. Cast members are on the Hollow app, which is a Roman Catholic-run app, reading scripture, and doing the rosary. These are these were the main ones that just kind of came up over and over again. Um, I think that a lot of these concerns are really kind of 
there, there, a lot of them are a form of the genetic fallacy. Um, and I think that they're, they're not helpful. Um, they're not really good reasons in most cases for us to not watch the show. Um, if Dallas Jenkins was making The Chosen within the studio system, within the Hollywood studio system, which many, many, many faith-based filmmakers did in the 1990s and early 2000s, he would be employing all kinds of non-Christians. And Christians wouldn't be raising an eyebrow about it. They would be just going to the see the movie. If it's entertaining, they tell their friends to go see the movie too. Uh, and they're just grateful that there's a great entertaining faith-based movie that the whole family can enjoy together. Like I've never heard Christians be so petty as to who is holding lights and who is running a camera or who is on the distribution side of things. Like this is peculiar to me. This is, I think, and in, in, this is a level of, of concern that I think is just weird. I mean, we've never had these concerns before. Um, I know if I had made a movie and I was invited on an LDS podcast to promote it, I would do it because I would want as many people as possible to see the movie. Uh, Christian filmmakers have been promoting their films on pagan platforms for the last 25, 30 years of making faith-based movies in Hollywood. Um, do, you, do you really think that every person who hangs lights or every show that a Christian filmmaker gets interviewed for is everybody's a Christian? Like, I, this is confusing to me. Um, I, I never heard this kind of complaining when Mel Gibson's movie came out of The Passion of the Christ. I didn't hear people complaining about the fact that Mel Gibson was a traditional Catholic. I, uh, my mother, who at the time was probably in her 70s, and all her, we call them her posse, all her friends from Bible study, all lined up outside the movie theater and bought their ticket so they could go see The Passion of the Christ. Why? Because they wanted to support a clean movie. I, I mean, they had Mel Gibson, I think, like on all the Christian stations and they were promoting it in the church, at my own church. The, the thought that, well, Mel Gibson's a traditional Catholic and he likes the Latin mass and we shouldn't be promoting this. Like we never heard any of this. We were just all grateful that there was somebody with enough money and influence inside the Hollywood system that could make a movie that depicted Jesus in a fairly faithful way. And it was a clean movie. Now it was a little too violent for me. I had to close my eyes through a lot of it, but I understood that if I want Hollywood to make movies that my family will enjoy, I need to show up and buy a ticket because that's how Hollywood makes its money. But I've never seen the level of scrutiny that Dallas Jenkins has had to live through because he employs LDS people or, or that his producers are LDS. I mean, 
do you really think the pagans in Hollywood who were who were financing faith-based movies in the 90s and early 2000s, like they were doing it for religious reasons? I can assure you they were not. They were doing it because they thought it was a way that they could make money because they thought Christians would line up and buy tickets. There, those movies may have had a Christian director or producer or person who was behind the project making it happen, but it most likely was employing 90% of those people were probably not Christians. I it just, these kinds of objections for the most part don't make sense to me. Now, if the movie was an obvious heresy, like the last temptation of Christ or Jesus Christ superstar, then I would understand the concern a little bit more but that's a content concern. That's a theological concern, which again, I'm going to, I'm going to go into in the second part of this, this stream, but, but, but the, the scrutiny that people have had against Dallas Jenkins employing and working with LDS people, I just find highly peculiar. We've never um, submitted any other Christian filmmaker to that. And I, I just, I don't get it. I really, really don't. And the truth is what Dallas Jenkins has accomplished, I think he deserves some credit. Like even if you disagree with his portrayal of Jesus, like he's he's not, he doesn't have Jesus being a homosexual. He doesn't have like, there's not any obvious heresy in it yet. There's a couple things that I do have some concerns about this one thing in particular that I have a concern about the trajectory of where we're going, but so far, and again, I'm basing all my comments on what has been seen so far. I think we have to admit that and, and understand that filmmaking is hard. What, what Dallas Jenkins has accomplished is truly amazing. That the fundraising, the casting, the production and the distribution, these are not easy tasks. There is a very good reason why so many Christian movies are subpar and they're just not as good as regular movies. What, what Dallas Jenkins has accomplished, I think in terms of the production value is pretty amazing. Now, do I have quibbles at times with some of the dialogue and some of the jokes are a little cheesy and sure, sure, sure I do. But, but overall what he's trying to do again is to make a genuinely entertaining TV series that can stand on its own merit, even if you aren't a Christian, even if you've never read the Bible, that you will tune into the show to find out. And maybe along the way, you'll start reading the Bible. But this is the reason why it introduces all these subplots. And this is, this is difficult for me because I have deep familiarity with the text. The hardest thing I am stumbling over right now is all the subplots. And these are all Dallas Jenkins' efforts to develop the characters. I think these are distracting at times. I don't care for some of the subplots. It becomes tiring for me to watch. But his goal is not to make the most biblically faithful TV show. That is not his goal. His goal is to make a TV show that is entertaining, inspired by true events. He is a Christian fan fiction, historical fiction writer. And I think that 
a lot of the criticisms that Dallas Jenkins is receiving is because he's he's put himself out there for criticism because I don't think a lot of people understand what he's trying to do. I don't think they understand the genre. And I think that this has opened him up to all kinds of criticism. And, and sure, there's been moments when even in our own family, like we've been critical of how he did things. Like my husband really thought there should have been way more people in the room during the scene where Jesus heals the paralytic. That was the scene, the picture that was in his mind and how things should have gone gone down. There's little, little picky uni things that we don't like. I don't like all the clapping. So American, all the clapping. That I mentioned this in the previous um, live stream, that the stage that they built in season two, I thought it was weird. I thought it smacked of American kind of mega church type of thing. Um, but I think that what, if you understand the genre of, of what it is that Dallas Jenkins is trying to do, the show at least starts to make sense. And then you can look at it and say, okay, here's the pros and cons of that. Here's where the show is kind of can be helpful at times in selected scenes. It couldn't have, it can have this effect. But here's all the caveats that I need to be aware of as a Christian who truly believes that the Bible is true and that the every word of the text of the Bible is important. Okay, I'm going to put a bookmark there. We're going to come back in a week or two and we will analyze some of the critical problems with the chosen and looking at them and what my thoughts are about them and where there are genuine concerns and where there aren't. And again, this isn't an endorsement of the show. I'm not telling anybody to go watch the show. I'm simply trying to help people understand more about the show, have some better words of how to talk about the show and talk about some of the legitimate concerns. Okay, with that, thank you for watching. And we will see you very soon. Good night and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.